Welcome to the Writers Co-op, a business podcast for freelance writers everywhere. We're your co-hosts. I'm Jetty Gritters. And I'm Wudan Yan. This week on the show, we're going to talk all about networking. So how to build relationships with your colleagues and new editors without feeling sleazy. Which ultimately helps you build your career so you can one day pay that forward. Let's see, where should we start with this one, Wudan? Oh, well, there is so much to unpack. So much. (laughs) Yes. First of all, I just want to say that I think networking, which from now on out, I will try and refer to as relationship building as much as possible. I think this is the most important soft skill you'll need to build a robust freelance business. Absolutely agree. I was talking about that today with multiple coaching clients that relationship building is the key to finding work and building a sustainable business. For sure. So I think we should start this episode the same way we start most other episodes, and that's with story time. Yep, I agree. All the stories. (laughs) All the stories. Okay, Jenny, when you were just starting out, in this field, what was your first attempt at networking with someone you knew? How did you actually ask for their help? So when I was in college, we had a pretty intensive career services program, and they kind of trained us to reach out to all the alumni who were working in the fields that we were interested in. So when I was a junior and senior in undergrad, I did a lot of sending cold emails to people, (laughs) asking them to chat on the phone for 30 minutes or so, and it actually worked most of the time. So it gave me a lot of information about potential career paths. I don't think it led to jobs at that point, but at the time I was trying to decide if I wanted to be a teacher or a therapist or maybe a writer, and it gave me a lot of guidance. So I'm still actually a really big fan of informational interviewing, which I define as just talking to people (laughs) about their career paths, especially when you're at a point in your life when you might want to make a shift. So talking to people about what worked for them and why can be super lucrative. I did that after I was laid off. But I'm trying to think. I think the first specific networking attempt that actually led to work happened to me after graduate school. I was running a narrative journalism conference in Boston, which meant I was interacting with all these people who were way cooler and more advanced than me in their careers. It was all these journalists that I admired, and I was right out of school. I had to do a lot of work to not fangirl all the time when I was interacting with all of them, but my job was to help them design their conference sections, and I also managed a lot of their logistics, so tech and all sorts of things like that, so I spent a lot of time with them, and as a result, I ended up with a lot of contacts in journalism really early in my career and I followed most of them on Twitter and kept an eye on what they were doing even after the conference so I would see when they posted jobs and my old boss Amy O'Leary was one of the speakers at the conference she used to work at the New York Times and was on the committee that helped with their innovation report all those years ago and I immediately felt like I really respected her career. I helped her with a few sessions at the conference, and we talked throughout those sessions. I think a few times I remember going up to her after a panel she was on, and she answered my questions so kindly, even though they were novice questions. So after the conference, like I said, I followed her on social media, and I ended up seeing I think three months after the conference that she was looking for an assistant. She had just left the New York Times and was running the editorial program at Upworthy, the viral news site, and she wanted a journalist to come on board to help her build a new way of working at the company. So her promise with all of that was that she would mentor and support whoever took that role. And 
I jumped at the opportunity and emailed her and within a week I had a job offer. So, you know, if I hadn't worked with Amy at the conference and gone up to her at that conference and kept in touch on social media, I think I wouldn't have gotten that job and that was my first true media job. So within eight months, she promoted me to an editor role. It was a pretty cool thing. That's a really amazing story. I mean, that's a testament to the fact that you never know what doors that might open. And if you see an opportunity that might be suitable, jump on it. Totally. To backtrack one second, you said that you'd ask people to talk to for 30 minutes. Is that something that you said explicitly in your emails? Yeah, I think in those informational interviewing emails, I always asked for a 30-minute call. I would usually say in those emails like, hi, you know, I'm a student, I'm a fellow alumni, I would love to be able to connect with you for 30 minutes about your career or to hear about what worked for you in your career. And it actually was pretty effective. Even after I got laid off from Wirecutter and had a full-on career crisis at that point, I interviewed a lot of people about their careers, like I said, and I asked for the same thing, 30 minutes tell me where you've come from, tell me what worked for you. I also actually set up my interviews for stories I'm reporting in the same way. So I guess it's a proven, proven strategy to be very direct about what you're asking about. So let's flip this around. Dan, what about you? What networking opportunities come to mind when you think about the beginning of your career? Yeah, when I think about that part of my life and journalistic career, I feel like I owe all of what has happened to Brooke Burrell. When I was just starting to really entertain the idea of leaving graduate school to pursue journalism, but didn't want to go to a master's program, that was around the same time I learned that a friend of mine from college mentioned that she had interned at Popular Science for a summer. And first of all, I had no idea that she did that. I thought that was awesome. And she immediately was like, oh, you should talk to Brooke. I'll put you in touch. I actually looked up my email to Brooke (laughs) in advance of recording this episode. This is what I actually said. I said, my name is Wudan, and we've met twice briefly at the Story Collider events. Last time I was there with our mutual contact. I'm currently a grad student at Sloan Kettering in their cancer biology program and will be leaving in about two months after I complete my master's. I'm quite interested in pursuing science writing and was wondering what advice you might have on pursuing it from a more unconventional route. In other words, not going to journalism school. A few months ago, I started a blog with the intention of making novel, exciting findings in the life sciences more understandable to the general public. I heard you're editing your book now, so I can imagine the next few weeks to be quite busy for you. But if you're interested in talking over the phone or Skype or meeting up in person over coffee after that, I'd appreciate it greatly. Please let me know what would work best, and I look forward to hearing from you. So Brooke got back to me, and we actually got wine and cheese in Lower Manhattan, and it was so, so incredibly eye-opening and helpful. And I would say over the years, we've been able to maintain that relationship when we see each other at conferences. And she's also introduced me to tons of people who have needed fact-checking help. I love that story. I think it's so similar to my experience with Amy, too, where Amy is one of those people who's really interested in helping other women kind of come up in media. So she also introduced me to so many great people. I think finding someone like that is really invaluable. My other mentor, Mark Kramer, is the same way. So he ran that journalism conference in Boston, and he was a 
pretty tireless advocate for me during my early career. Anyone he knew, I pretty much knew by proxy. I'm curious, Dan, we get a lot of these, can you give me advice emails now that we're further along in your career or our careers, but tell me about that original email to Brooke. Like, why do you think it worked? I think it worked because of a few things. It pointed to a personal connection, our mutual contact. I specified what I was looking for. And by mentioning her whole book situation, I think that showed that I was mindful of her time. Totally. I think in our experience, those feel like really good ingredients to have in that email or Twitter or DM or what have you whenever you're reaching out to someone who you don't really know. For sure. And I think we both pointed to examples of networking done right or networking that's on the better end (laughs) of what might people would see. I wonder if it would also be valuable too to talk about some examples of what not to do. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Why don't you go first? Oh, goodness. Okay. Over the years, like you said, Jenny, I've gotten lots of requests from strangers. And I feel like we should make this clear on relationship building. We're not talking about asking our friends for help. I think that's entirely different. I'm talking about making relationships with strangers where people approach you and you don't know them. Some of the requests I get have been to, quote, pick your brain about freelancing. Once I got a message from someone who had trouble pitching publications and upfront asked me for a list of publications within their B area and editor contacts. What about you, Jenny? (laughs) God, I can't believe someone asked you that. (laughs) I also get these emails all the time. Specifically, I get dozens of people I don't know trying to connect with me on LinkedIn. And then if I do say yes to the connection, they ask if I can introduce them to people I know. So I get really frustrated by that because I can't vouch for you if I don't know you. Like if I haven't seen your work, I can't go out on a limb and connect you to the people that I know. I also get a lot of inquiries from people who just generally want to hear about my career though, which is super nice. But unfortunately, I don't really have the time right now, especially with a little one, to chat with all of these people for free. So I think drawing from that, the big no's for me are trying to ask for help with connections when I don't know you. Like I'm so happy to connect people I know, people I've worked with in the past, if I can attest to the fact that they're a good worker. But if I don't know you, it's not something that really works for me. I also think asking me to do work for you, like you just said, Wadan, like editor emails that are generally available online, go find that yourself. And I also think it's really tough for me when people make vague asks where they're just like, I want to pick your brain because I want to know what you're specifically interested in and then I can provide you with really meaningful advice. So to be clear, I actually love to mentor people. I do it a lot. And I love, love, love to help other people succeed in freelancing. Like nothing brings me more joy. But there's for sure a good way to reach out. And there's for sure a way to reach out that is less effective. Yeah, I also get a lot of questions from people who want to hear about how I've made it work. And that's something I've actually written about. So it's always a little shocking to me when people ask me, I'm like, what more information can I give you other than what's already on the internet? So I think in short, the takeaways here are when reaching out to someone, tell them why, one, you met them at an event, two, you've read something about their work, three, you have a mutual friend, a previous mutual employer, school, hometown, Or four, someone specifically recommended you to contact them. Yes, it's that mutual contact thing. This is why I always tell people to think about who they know and to start there when it comes to relationship building. Like who can connect you to their friends and 
Who do you already know? That's going to work a lot better than reaching out to someone randomly. And then I think in that first message, you can explain also what it is that you're hoping to get out of the conversation. Like we Dan said, a lot of this information already exists online. So what specifically can I help you with? I want to be able to specifically help you with a certain question or a certain issue that you're facing. I will say now that I think both of us get so many requests, one of my baseline requirements is do I want to be friends with this person? Can I see myself just getting a beer with them and talking shop or about life? Yes, I think it's super important to remember that all of this is human first, even if you're asking for help, like that takes away the sleazy element for me. But Dan, you're super good at this. You become friends with folks, I think at conferences and stuff in a genuine way because you like being around people and then you also end up helping each other down the line. It's not just schmoozing for the sake of schmoozing. Yeah, I do like being around people. Quarantine has been a little hard. Also, I mean, on that line of schmoozing and just asking for things up front like I don't think it's unreasonable to first form a relationship first before and then launching into the bigger asks I was talking with Karen Ho she's a former freelancer but now she's a staffer at Quartz who basically said don't ask me for my immigration lawyer's contact information if we've never chatted before dear god To be clear, I don't actually know if that's something that's happened or just an example (laughs) of a possible ask. But yeah, start low, work your way up to the bigger asks later once you know the person. Here's a good question. When do you know if you should start paying someone for their time if you're reaching out and asking for help? This is a really good question since both of us run coaching and consulting businesses on the side. I'll answer for myself. Usually what I do is look at somebody's message and see basically estimate how much time it'll take for me to answer. If their question takes less than two minutes to answer, I will type up something really fast. I kind of even say, ha, like, yeah, thanks for being mindful of my time. Here's my two minute off the cuff response. And I basically just type straight for two minutes. If I look at that request and I see that it requires a more in-depth conversation, I'll suggest them to book time with me. I want to be helpful, super, super love to help people. Nothing brings me greater joy than having a direct impact on somebody else. But I also need to know at what point is it going to cut too significantly into the time that I would otherwise use to research, report, or write. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I take a similar strategy since we're running businesses here. I think if I can provide you with quick insight, I am so happy to do that. That's why I say it's really great to reach out with a specific question. And if I can tweet about the answer or put it on Instagram or LinkedIn so other people can benefit from it, that's in my mind even better. But if you're dealing with something that requires a lot of strategic guidance and it's going to take a conversation to answer, I'll usually ask you to book a coaching session. So the exception of that is students. I'm usually willing to chat with students for free since I know they're not pulling in any income generally if they're just taking classes. But I also have a bunch of blogs on Medium about how I got started and how to find work and how I spend my days. So sometimes I'll direct people there to start if they just want to know about how I got here. Honestly, my days are so full right now that I just don't have as much unpaid time to spare as I used to. Yeah, I still do on very rare occasions talk to people for free. But for me and in these situations, there's usually the trade-off of having a conversation with them very soon if they can help pay for a coaching session or if they can wait a few weeks until my schedule cools off and I can kind of take a breather and feel good 
on taking time out of my schedule to speak with them for free. So next, while we're still talking about making these initial connections, I wanted to ask about conferences and professional societies. Jenny, what value, if any, have you found from these? So like I said, a lot of my initial connections in journalism actually came from working at that narrative journalism conference in Boston at the outset of my career. It was a big boon for me. You know, I was right out of school and big events like that are, I think, especially helpful if you're starting out at the beginning of your career, especially if you're a freelancer. So where can you go to find people to model your career after? Where can you go to meet other people who are just starting out like you? The answer is usually a conference. I will say this though, I'm a really natural introvert. So going to events like that honestly really stresses me out, especially if I don't know someone already there. So I'm definitely less apt to attend an event and more apt to connect with people who I've worked with in the past and then ask them for help if I need it later. So a lot of my job opportunities do come through professional society newsletters, things like that. And I do think those are worth it if the dues are inexpensive, but I tend to be more involved in my local community than I do go to big events. I do a lot of stuff in the parenting community and the outdoor community here in Seattle. And I actually naturally have gotten a lot of connections that way as well, because I write about both of those things. And that's also how I spend my time. So it tends to work out in my favor, but I don't actually think of that time as career networking necessarily. It is just more so relationship building. What about you, Wudan? Yeah, my story is a little different because I think it's a little clear that I'm more on the extroverted side. Yeah, I think I know as a freelancer that the cost of attending a conference can be prohibitive with registration fees, hotels, flights, and more. You're dumping about $1,000, possibly even much more into a three or four day affair that you likely won't be able to work through. That's a hard sell for so many people. But I'd encourage folks to look at grants that allow them to attend conferences that they haven't been to before. The only surefire way to not get one of these grants is to not apply. So I've gotten a grant to go to a data journalism conference. And for an environmental conference, they had a grant for basically first-time attendees. These have been really invaluable for the connections I've made. Udan is always finding sneaky grant money. It's like one of her superpower skills, which she will definitely tell us more about in a future episode. Yeah. And even at conferences, I feel like the same rules apply with relationship building. Don't ask too much of someone's time. It's much better to just meet somebody, exchange business cards at the end, have a nice conversation otherwise, and follow up afterwards. Yeah, I totally agree. At events, I generally don't ask people for things. I just chat with them, and then maybe later I might look them up on social media. The whole point is that it's just really nice to put a face to a name. It makes that next conversation that much easier. One final word on professional societies. It makes a lot of sense to join whatever local chapter of a writer or journalist group exists in your region. So usually the annual fees for joining are a lot lower and it's a great way to meet people who live around you. Those are really the professional society groups that I'm a part of that have been most useful to me. Yeah, I agree 300%. The local science writers group in Seattle has been so insanely helpful for me. 
So after you've met these folks, how do you like to maintain those connections, Jenny? My usual method is just to check in with people and see how they're doing from time to time. I'm definitely the kind of person who doesn't go around meeting lots of people, but I'm very happy instead to stay in close touch with the people I do know. So I send a lot of how are you, just thinking of you emails or tweets or messages to former colleagues mostly because I'm just genuinely interested in how they're doing because I like them. And I suppose sometimes this leads to more work, but generally it's just nice to have a community of people around me who understands this crazy media landscape that we're working in. I do track LinkedIn a couple of times each week, and when I see that someone has a new job, I might send them a congratulations email. So I also often send job opportunities to friends and colleagues for whom they might be a good fit. I think this is like a very specific to me thing. I love looking up jobs. It's like maybe why I like being a freelancer. So I'm always sending them to people. And I think people actually in turn do the same for me. It's not a sneaky strategy at all or even a strategy in any way. It's just kind of how I operate in a lot of my friendships. Dan, what about you? I know you use Twitter super effectively to maintain your connections. Yeah, I feel like Twitter is where all the riffing and dialogue happens. So many editors are quite active. Retweeting, replying, commenting, or even just following someone is pretty helpful and can be a bridge for that first email pitch or informal conversation offline. I feel like Twitter is how I remind editors that I'm still alive (laughs) since we're mostly all sheltering in place still and can't travel to conferences or meet people. I feel like if my name is showing up in their Twitter feeds consistently, then that'll be an easier sell of like, hey, this is a name that's somewhat familiar to you when I go and pitch them. Yeah, I agree. Getting your name in front of people generally really helps with pitching. Even if you're getting a bunch of no's during pitches, the editor actually gets to know your name and comes to recognize you in their inbox. And I also know that when I was editing at Upworthy, I followed a lot of my steady contributors on social media. So that way I knew what they were up to. I could see if they were sharing the story that they had just written so I could retweet it. And I also handed out assignments that way sometimes. So especially if I liked working with someone, they sort of entered my circle of trust and I would keep track of how they were doing, just like I keep track of how my friends are doing. And I actually still work with some of those people or trade assignments or gig postings or things like that, even though I'm not their editor anymore. So it's definitely worth making connections over social media, I think. Yeah, we get so many questions about like, what's the best way to maintain relationships with an editor? And I still think one of the best ways to do this is just to keep pitching. And I mean, you can do that if you're based in New York City or if you're living halfway across the world or some little mountain town in the West. The more you pitch, the more editors know what you like to write about and are more likely to make an assignment down the road. Totally. And when you get that no, that doesn't mean never pitch again. It just means the story isn't a good fit. So like say that to yourself 10 times over. (laughs) No doesn't mean never pitch again. I'm currently working with an editor who I love. She actually reached out to me months ago with an assignment that I couldn't take on at the time, but she tried again after that. And I did finally say yes. And since then, I pitch her ideas that she mostly passes on. For the stories that she says yes, I file my stories, she sends me edits. She still asks me if I can take assignments from time to time. I think as a freelancer, having someone say no to a pitch has nothing to do with you. And saying no to an editor doesn't mean that it's the end of the relationship either. Hard agree. 
So speaking of relationships with editors, and maybe this isn't something that can be done anywhere in the near future, thanks to social distancing, since we're recording this during COVID. But Wudan, you like to typically ask editors out to coffee. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So before coronavirus hit, and whenever I made a trip to New York City, which I do about maybe one or two times every year since my folks live outside of the city, I would make a point of meeting editors at publications that I wanted to write for. My emails were always short and sweet, and I always sent them about two weeks in advance of my visit. I feel like two weeks is the sweet spot because people don't have so much foresight, but they also don't want to be making last minute plans. My subject line basically says it all. It always says something like, Seattle-based journalist in New York City from date one to date two, meet for coffee, question mark. (laughs) And in the body, I introduce myself further, link to some recent work I've done. And that's about it. It's bold and I love it. (laughs) And if you're an All Access member, Udana is actually going to toss a template of this email into our folder for you to access. So how do editors typically respond to those sorts of emails? I've gotten mostly yeses, and I feel like that's lucky. Maybe I've just found the editors who love to talk to freelancers, who love to meet new writers, who have good ideas. Sometimes I will have emailed someone who's not the best fit to talk to a freelancer, but that person will just give me ideas as to who else at the publication to try. Have those meetings eventually led to assignments for you? It's been a really mixed bag. So sometimes I'll pitch them an idea that I glossed over during our coffee. I actually got my first story in Harper's after I met with an editor there. And a few months ago, that same editor reached out to me for help with a new section she was editing for the magazine. I think with the many other publications, I think at least I've had a chance to get some FaceTime with them. They know how I think. My name will be a little more familiar in their inbox when I do send them a pitch. I think everyone should go listen to Eva Holland's long-form podcast where she talks about something really similar. I swear I'm not the only crazy person who like cold emails people and asks them to get a coffee or a beer with me. That podcast is so good. She asks editors to drink with her basically when she's visiting the places where they live. And I do honestly think that's how a lot of this goes down. Just meeting up and chatting about careers and writing and journalism and COVID. And then, you know, you know this person at the end of the meeting. So it's easier to think about how you might work together. That's why it's relationship building. And I think there's a reason it's building, right? There is some effort involved here. And When I've done this sort of work to get to know someone, sometimes I end up writing for the person and sometimes I don't. But it's also really good to just get to know people in all corners of this industry because maybe eventually it'll be a good time to work together. You never know. So we spent all this time talking about how to build relationships. We're really building up to the crux of it all. Which is, why are these relationships important? (laughs) Are we going to talk about coronavirus again? Of course we are. (laughs) Okay. All right. Jenny, how has having a strong network of relationships across the industry helped you during this weird time? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've realized during coronavirus is how important my connections are. So these people are helping me pay my bills. The editors I work with basically helped me fund my maternity leave, right? They are a big reason why my business works. And this might sound kind of 
corny, but after my first year of freelancing, I actually sent notes to my steady clients basically saying thank you. I said, you're helping me build my dream career, and I was really careful to call out when things in our working relationship were good. So to thank someone for responding quickly to me on pitches or to call out the fact that they were straight shooters or paying me on time, right? I think it's really important to acknowledge when things are good because a lot of times in this industry, none of that is worth taking for granted. So all of that is to say that the people I work with have made my transition back to work during COVID after maternity leave with an infant at home while being married to a healthcare worker easier, right? It's still a rough time, but networking in the past has borne a lot of good fruit for me during this season. For example, when I was on leave, an editor at Wirecutter, where, yes, I previously got laid off, reached out to me to let me know that she needed someone to cover a three-month maternity leave for an editor on a part-time basis, and I'm actually doing that work right now. So she thought of me because we'd worked together before, because I kept in touch with her, because she knows I already know how to do the job. Even though I've had a few contracts canceled, those editors at the places where my work was canceled have actually connected me with other editors. One of my favorite clients, actually, I emailed her asking if she had any projects available, and she said her projects were on pause, but she emailed all of her colleagues to let them know that I was available for work, which ended up landing me more assignments. So I'm actually doing okay during this scary time to be a freelancer, mostly because of all these connections. That's really, really impressive to come out of maternity leave as publications are shrinking their freelance budgets and to still find quite a bit of work. Yeah, honestly, I've just been feeling really, really grateful for the legwork that I put in before and also for all the good people that I work with who have had my back because at the end of the day, networking is really just about following up with people in a caring, authentic way, I think. You know, we're all in this like very weird, messy situation together, so all this sounds a little corny, but you know, this appreciation and gratitude has really felt really important for me this month. I mean, you've had a similar experience. What has COVID been like with you in terms of revealing your network? I've honestly had a banner month with coronavirus. It's so strange to say, and I feel a little guilty about it. The reason why things have worked out this way is largely in part owing to my existing relationships. I got some assignments from clients that I fact check regularly for. I would say having so many relationships with editors across the board made it really easy for me to pitch. And knowing other reporters who could connect me with editors too has been mission critical. You know, in some ways, I think I've said this in a few other contexts before, but coronavirus revealed how my business plan is a little flimsy (laughs) if I can only guarantee a few thousand bucks coming in for my regular fact-checking work. But in other ways, it's reminded me that I actually knew a lot of people who could possibly solicit my help or people that I could ask for help um, when, you know, push comes to shove. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a time that makes it really obvious both how precarious freelancing is, but also kind of how precarious full-time jobs are as well. So it's scary right now not to have a guaranteed income, but it's also been a time for me at least when priorities and relationships have become really crystal clear. Yeah, I know relationship building sounds like such a soft, mushy skill, but I think it's absolutely essential 
for running a robust freelance business, especially as things change so rapidly. Agreed. We're both very much into the idea of making connections over just trying to connect with people from a business strategy perspective, like human to human, especially now. And I want to say if you don't have that network, I think this is as good a time as any to start building that. So Dan, do you have any recommendations for people who are listening to this and thinking like, but I don't know a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, first, like talk to your friends and see who they might know. Again, that mutual connection can come in pretty handy. Also, I know we're at a time in this world where we can't buy each other coffee or a beer, but maybe since our schedules ebb and flow with so much availability, it's possible you could just cold email a colleague you really admire and have a Zoom call with them. Yeah, I often tell my coaching clients to find a few people whose careers you might want to emulate. The first person should be someone who's like a year or two ahead of you on the trajectory. I did that when I started freelancing. I sat down with two women who ran their own media business, and it was so freaking helpful. And then I also tell them to look for someone who's maybe 10 years ahead. So who's way further down the line than you and consider where they've been. Also, maybe how you could copy certain parts of their trajectory, like that's very much allowed. And you might consider reaching out to them too, maybe just with an email with some of those straightforward questions like we suggested. And I also want to echo Wudan in saying, think about who you already know. Like I know I've already said this, but start where you're at, who can connect you, to someone else. And you can sometimes use LinkedIn to see who you're connected to via your friends or colleagues who you already know. And then finally, I think it's a good time right now to see if other people who've been laid off or are struggling want to connect with you. I've noticed that people are much more apt to want to talk right now. A lot of people have a lot of free time. So can you create a pod of five other new freelancers and share resources? Or can you reach out to an editor who's been laid off and ask them for coaching? That sort of thing. For sure. And I'm noticing a lot of professional societies also offer such relationship building on Zoom calls and things of that sort. But yeah, I love the idea of a freelance pod. Anyway, I think we've covered it all for today. We're going to sign off, but feel free to email or tweet at us with any questions or comments. Until next episode. See you on Zoom soon, Dan. <laughs> Bye, Jenny. Season one of the Writers Co-op is made possible by a grant from the National Association of Science Writers. The Writers Co-op is hosted by me, Jenny Gritters, and Wu Dan Yan, and produced by Susan Vallett.